In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, I'm going to be joined by Elizabeth Slayton, the Director of Communications here in the Diocese of Tyler, and we're going to talk about one aspect of Mark's Gospel that is just really fascinating to the both of us, and that's how urgent and fast-paced the message of salvation is, the message of the Gospel in Mark. Please stick around. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo. I'm the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute. And in this episode, I am joined by our Director of Communications, Elizabeth Slayton. And we're going to be talking a little bit um, about a particular dimension of the Gospel of Mark uh, that I thought Elizabeth would just be super great to kind of have around the table for this discussion. So, Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. This first time... We've been on a podcast together, which is yeah. so weird because you've been here for a long time. Um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit for all the listeners that, that maybe don't, they're not sure what you do here? Yeah, sure. So this is exciting. This is the first time I've sat down with you. I've sat down with uh, Deanna and Mickey before. But yeah, like Luke said, my name is Elizabeth. I'm the director of communications here um, in the diocese, and I've been here in the in the diocese for well, I grew up here, so I've been in the diocese my whole life, but I've been working here in the chancery for uh, about two and a half years now, so um, doing mostly communications-related stuff. So I do the diocesan magazine and all that kind of fun stuff. So she is a real original to the diocese. <laughs> you, you, there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, yeah, I've been here for a long time. I've been here for four years, five years." Elizabeth was born in our <laughs> diocese, so she knows it better than everybody. Um, okay, well, so what we're doing right now, we're in um, on the podcast. We're doing a series on Mark's Gospel. And um, one of the things that uh, I, I wanted to start with, uh, or I wanted to, to focus on in, in a discussion about Mark's gospel is um, just how fast and urgent the whole gospel is. Um, and one of the things that I, I know you and I have shared this in just passing conversation sometimes is that the gospel of Mark, um, we've both said in our own ministry prior to coming here that if it's something we would recommend to like a new Christian or someone who's interested in becoming Christian or becoming Catholic, mm -hmm. um, why why do you like to do that? I know my reasons, but what what's your reason for for recommending that to people? Yeah, so anytime kind of I talk to people, especially I help a lot with RCIA, so people are coming into the church and those types of things, you know, and they want to dive into Scripture. Obviously, the Gospels are always the first place I tell people to go because that's where we find Jesus yeah. very clearly in yeah. the Gospels. So if you want to know who Jesus is, read the Gospels. But Mark's gospel in particular is unique because it's, first off, it's short. It's only 16 chapters long. Yes. So it's an easy thing to get through. It's not overwhelming. It's very simple. Um, but there is a very clear, like, tangi tangible 
you can see the Christian life in a very tangible way in Mark's gospel because Mark's gospel is the gospel of action. And that's yes. what we as Christians are. We're people of action. So Mark's gospel is a really great, it's a really beautiful place to start because very clearly, quickly, and tangibly, you get a glimpse of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, it's really cool how short it is. Um, and I mean, it was one of the practical things of like, I wanted to do a podcast series where we focus on just one of the Gospels. And I mean, the shortness of it was one of the main reasons why I said, let's go with Mark. I won't get overwhelmed. I won't get like, oh, I got to explain like all of these things. The Gospel of Mark, if that was the only Gospel you had, it would be enough, right? Mm-hmm. We're blessed mm-hmm. that we have four of them, but Mark's gospel is uh, so fast and it's and it's short and it's the whole thing feels like it's in a hurry. Um, so it's it's like if you know someone that you ask them like what are they what are you up to and it's just like a busy person mm-hmm. and like they, they start to answer your question and they're already in the middle of something yep. and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, back back up here." Mark's gospel comes across like that. Yeah. And one of the things that's um, difficult to it's difficult to just explain or demonstrate exactly how that is. But if you sit there and read Mark and then you go read John, you know, back to back, wildly different. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody knows this. There's an intuitive sense about it when you're, you know, serious about the the, the Christian life or you study scriptures, like you see it real well. Um, But it's a little bit difficult to just kind of like, uh, you know, academically explain why it's so different. But there are a couple of things that we can point to. So for for, for one, the, the sense of urgency in the Gospel of Mark is conveyed not just because it's quick and short, but also the way that things are narrated, and in, in one particular way, very strong way, the use of the word immediate. Um, so there's the, the word immediate is used more than, or 40 times exactly, in Mark's Gospel, uh, and it's, some, it's only used something like six times in the Gospel of uh, Matthew uh, and like once in Luke or something. So it's like way more often that the Gospel of Mark says something is immediate. And there are many times where it's immediately he did this and then they said this and then immediately like it's like three or four times mm-hmm. in ju- like almost back to back. I grade, um, I teach uh, an adjunct course uh, at Florida State and I grade undergraduate essays all the time. And when people use the same word um, in like two back-to-back sentences, I'm like, listen, your syntax is like, this is not good. You should not be, you just said that word, the previous sentence. Mark is like immediate, 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 and he just drops it in bunches. Mm -hmm. Like the way that I use salt when I'm cooking. Like, Like, I don't know, just throw a bunch of salt in here and maybe it will be good. In chapter one, (laughs) I think he uses it 10 times. Yeah, it is, it just, I mean, kicks off and like right away you are on an adventure um, with Mark, mm-hmm. with the disciples, mm-hmm. with everybody, everybody that's going along is being just kind of really pulled along through the story by Mark, mm-hmm. who's frequently going from one thing to the next. So it is, he says the word immediate, there's a sense of urgency, even in the vocabulary, but then also the overall style of Mark's gospel. So if you look at Mark compared to, let's just say John, because that, that makes the distinction really, really clear. John has a lot more extended theological sections, theological mm-hmm. treatments of a topic, long teaching sessions um, or, or teaching sermons of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is not found in Mark's Gospel. It is in Matthew's Gospel, and there's a Sermon on the Plain in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is giving extended teaching. Now, does Jesus teach in Mark's Gospel? Absolutely. But it's 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 much shorter, and it's, it's contained to a smaller part of the Gospel. Um, what you have in Mark's Gospel are 
exorcisms, healings, miracles, and Jesus on the move to Jerusalem. Um, in just 16 chapters, they go from he is, uh, you know, uh, out in the desert and he's baptized to he's suffering. Uh, but a good, I think, three or four, four or five chapters of the gospel is on his passion. So he's got to pack everything else into those 11 chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's just, this is very different. And, and you see a sense of the fast pace, like this is uh, just like an earth changing story in the way people react to what Jesus does mm-hmm. and what he says. So for instance, you hear you hear the, the, the audience of Mark's gospel, like the characters in the gospel say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Um, he says, we never saw anything like this. So this is when Mark has Jesus, you know, the, the story is, is narrated in Mark's gospel of Jesus healing a paralytic, but before he heals him of his paralysis, he forgives him of his sins, mm-hmm. right? And then people are all like, what, are you forgiving this guy's sins? Like, mm-hmm. is that what he really needs? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's what he really mm-hmm. needs, but since you don't have enough faith to believe that, watch this, get up, you know, and he heals him of his paralysis, and they say, we never saw anything like this. And then he's with the disciples, they're um, in a boat on a, you know, there's a storm and he calms the sea and his disciples say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So it's, it's like Mark is just littering like throughout his gospel, these incredible stories, these incredible things that Jesus does. And then he lets you sit back and go, whoa. And then he just moves on like right to the next one. So um, it's, it's a really, as Elizabeth said, it's a great text for people to go to when they just want to know who Jesus is. Tell me mm-hmm. who he is. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mark's gospel is for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's a beautiful gospel. It's a gospel of action. Um, you see Jesus doing. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really great place for people to start. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is interesting about Mark's gospel um, is, is precisely how simple it is. Mm-hmm. And like how deep it is, mm-hmm. like at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not that like, well, I mean, it's only sixteen chapters, and you really can't learn that much. It, there are so many layers to things. Where mm. on the one hand, he's quickly going through, mm-hmm. showing us all these things that, that that are happening, and leaving us with these questions, these leading questions, like, who is this? Mm-hmm. And that like that's precisely the invitation for us is to draw in, and our as we're reading it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, who is this? Yeah. Who is Jesus? Yeah. Like I've heard of Jesus. Yeah. Maybe I know someone who is Christian or whatever, but but who is he in fact? And that's that's the that's the purpose of the Christian life is to ultimately find that out. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I actually cause kind of a, a practical example of that, just in the first chapter of Mark. So um we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I'll just no, throw no, this okay. in. No, no, no. <laughs> I wanted to be so a conversation. There, so. There's tremendous, even though Mark is fast paced and it's, it's the gospel in my mind, it's the gospel of action. Like you see Jesus, the doer. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that that's very beautiful and something, especially in the world that we live in today that we can kind of relate to because we, we, um, productivity is a very important thing in our culture. Mm. But one of the things that's always fascinated me, and this goes to just the depth, like the quickness and the fast pace of Mark's gospel isn't 
meant to keep you on the surface. There's deeper things for us to explore. So, for example, one of those things is this is the gospel of action and the gospel of doing. So you would think that, you know, in some way, shape or form, Jesus's value or worth comes from all of the things that he does. Oh, because that yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That is the way that we. Well, he's in working our, all these miracles. Yeah. He's healing everybody. Doesn't it pay off? Yeah. That's how we in our <laughs> modern world were in, would interpret this. But right in the beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter one, we don't see Jesus appear on the scene until verse nine. And in verse 9, Jesus is baptized. He hasn't said anything yet. He hasn't done anything yet. And what do we get at his baptism? We get an affirmation from the Father that Jesus, he says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And that's just a beautiful thing for us, especially in the world that we live in today, to kind of wrap our minds around. We are God's beloved children, his beloved son or his beloved daughter because of who our God is and who he created us to be, not because of everything that we do. So even here in Mark's gospel, we get this beautiful affirmation that our value and our worth doesn't come from what we do. It comes from who we are. Yeah. And you see this quite, quite clearly that God the Father makes that clear at the very beginning before Jesus has even done anything. He is the beloved son of the father. So that's just an example of even though you get this very, Jesus is able to do all of the things that he does in Mark because Because of who he is. is. He's the beloved son of the father. And in this year of baptism in our diocese, I think that that's really just so powerful Mm -hmm. to, to reflect on because that's, we become an adopted son or daughter of God at our baptism and for most of us, we're baptized as, as children, as babies. Uh, but even if you're baptized as an adult, you'd be 80 years old, merely by the baptism, you are a beloved son of God, right? Which, mm-hmm. is one of, which is why in the rite of baptism, you actually have, after the baptism, the prayer of the Our Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, is part of the liturgy, not just because it's like, well, well, can we baptize... What's something next that would be nice to do? But it's like, it's very theologically significant. Now we're going to pray the Our Father, and this person who's just been baptized, that prayer applies to them Mm -hmm. in a way that it didn't previous to the baptism. Now God really is the Father. Another thing that I—this is what I thought you were going to say, because we we didn't plan everything, which that would have been so (laughs) weird. Um, I'm I'm glad to just have, like, a regular conversation. Elizabeth and I have, like, these kinds of chats all the time. Maybe they're not always as edifying, but we, we talk a lot. There's all the miracles, all the things that Jesus does, the, the exorcisms and the healings and the multiplications of, of, of food and everything, and there's constantly people questioning, well, how, how is it that he can do this? Or saying, well, you're doing all these miracles and stuff, but like that doesn't mean you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that's like really important for us as evangelists. So, you know, at the Institute, I mean, we try to provide catechesis, but we also want other people to go out and do that. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to evangelize people, you should re you got to really dig, let this sink in deep. Jesus worked miracles and still didn't convince a lot of mm-hmm. people of of who he was Mm -hmm. so we're we're not always necessarily going to be successful Mm -hmm. in convincing uh people of of you know the message of the gospel because even jesus himself couldn't just win everybody over Mm -hmm. with all the miracles that he does so Mm -hmm. all of the action it does help to reveal who he is but it only it kind of helps more when you already have that that basic faith in who he is, and then you see what he does. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, it's this relationship that the Catechism describes 
um, between the economy of salvation and mm-hmm. like the identity of, of, of Christ, like or of the Trinity, really, we learn more about the person, whether that's the, the persons of the Trinity or like a regular person, by the works that they do. Mm-hmm. But then it is also through those works that we can better understand who they are. And so mm-hmm. it goes both ways. Yeah. You need both sides of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I don't I think this has a very like a standard a standard sort of temptation mm-hmm. for us today is to think like if whatever person does these powerful deeds, mm-hmm. then like it really must it must convince other people. Mm-hmm. In other words, it like we should be able to figure out how can we convince people of the truth of the gospel. And yeah. it's like Jesus couldn't convince people, not very many, mm-hmm. percentage wise, of the truth of who he was, mm-hmm. you know. And we see that outlined pretty clear in in, in all the gospels, but but in Mark in yeah, particular. And that's actually kind of a really good point. Whenever you read not only Mark's gospel, but the other gospels, mm-hmm. Jesus's greatest um, moments of what we would consider to be evangelization. They're not like, we don't get very many stories of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we only get one story mm-hmm. of the Sermon on the Mount, but we get several stories where he has these small encounters with yes. individual people or small groups of people. Yeah. Um, you see this throughout Mark. So one of the other things that struck me about Mark is how there's this, this very emphasis on going and doing and this action, but a coupled with that is you very consistently see Jesus going away to private places either by himself to be with the father or he takes a couple of the apostles with him Mm -hmm. and he works with them and then a couple of his miracles you see him taking people away from the crowds or out of the town so you also see this kind of um a little bit of a separation or a leaving the the crowds or the noise or kind of what we would consider to be like like most people would see a Catholic speaker up on a stage speaking to a room full of a thousand people and say that person is an evangelist. Oh, yeah. But that's not what evangelization is. Evangelization is right. the normal day-to-day human mm-hmm. interactions. That's where we encounter Jesus Christ and the person sitting next to us. And yeah. you see this, you see this in Mark's gospel where there's this going out, there's this doing, there's this doing the work of the Father, but there's also this leaving, this going away, this um, going out in private, going into prayer. Um, at one point you see him where he, um, so in, in Mark chapter 4, he explains things privately to his disciples. So you kind of get this, um, you see a lot more, I guess the point I'm trying to make is in the Gospels, you see a lot more of Jesus having small or having significant encounters with small groups of people. Yep. And ultimately, that's what evangelization is. So what came to mind as you were talking is this story where uh, in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 24, 25, um, Jesus is being followed by a great crowd. It says, A great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had suffered uh, a flow of blood for 12 years. Mm-hmm. and it would, she, she, So I don't read the whole story, but mm-hmm. she's been to every, every physician, nothing's helping. And she sees Jesus in a crowd, and she says, if I can just touch his garments, mm-hmm. I will be healed. And so she reaches out and touches his, his cloak. Um, and Jesus is now in the middle of crowds. He's just actually uh, healed someone else, and uh, or he's on his, he's on his way rather to to raise someone from the dead. And so there's all these people that are clamoring for him, and he and he goes, "Whoa, power went out from me. 
what happened? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's all these people around. I don't know. Everybody's touching you. And he says, no, I want to find the one person. And he, and he has this, this, this encounter. And I, what you said is so, so profound that the work of evangelization is only in its rarest moments going to be accomplished in a crowd. Mm-hmm. You know? And if it is accomplished in a crowd, it's because whoever is presenting the gospel has made a profound personal impact on one of the people mm-hmm. there. And it has mo- almost as much to do with the person receiving it mm-hmm. as it does with the message that's being proclaimed. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is doing the same thing. Like, He's the divine logos. He's out there, you know, uh, working miracles, healing people. He's revealing himself. But there is a little bit of faith that's required on the part of the people receiving the message for it to really hit home. You know, even the disciples who are with him don't frequently, they don't know, what is this guy? What are you talking about? Yep. What's what's going on here? Um, and that's because it's it's not a one-sided like salvation's not one-sided. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is in a certain ontological way. Like it is Jesus who can save us and we mm-hmm. can't save ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we've got to be in some way participating in that. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, I really like that when you said that, it was just like, oh, the woman in the crowd, the woman in the crowd. That's yeah. a story that kind of comes to yeah. my mind. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so another thing that, uh, that I think kind of brings this cl- brings this out, this general theme of like the uniqueness of, of Mark's gospel, um, is the way that Mark will narrate a story and there's a lot of questions in it. Sometimes the people that see something, something happens to them, they witness Jesus do something, they ask questions. Sometimes Jesus is asking questions. So like I think, and it's something that I uh, did as I was preparing for this, uh, I just went scanning visually for question marks. What are the questions being asked? When Jesus asks a question or someone asks a question of him, it's always fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so one of the questions uh, that's that's at the center of the gospel, almost literally, is when Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? Mm. And the, the apostles say, you know, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? This is the critical question of Mark's gospel. But sometimes he's asking other people questions to try and sort of draw that out from them. He's like a good teacher. Teachers are like, you mm-hmm. probably know the answer. If I can just ask you the right question, mm-hmm. you'll see it. It's a very sort of platonic thing. But in Mark chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain fields, and they're, and they're picking grains of, of wheat and eating them, and it's the Sabbath day, and people are all upset about it. And Jesus asked them, have you not read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, um, how he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest, and he ate the showbread, which was not lawful for any of the, but the priest to eat, and he gave it to those who were with him. And it's this extended question, and there isn't really much of a response in in Mark's gospel. It's not like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But that's like one of the moments where Jesus is teaching something really profound, if you know the story about David— and it's that David is 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 the high is a priest, and he is even more than mm-hmm. than David. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like I like the questions, um, and we see. I think what's what's the kind of the most revealing thing about a lot of the questioning in Mark's gospel is we just see the radical newness of presenting Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there were other books that were written around the time of Jesus 
but the newness of Jesus. He's so he breaks every category that it's it's almost difficult to capture the newness of and the strangeness mm-hmm. of Jesus as the Savior. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's what I think is is so cool about reading the Gospels is that the, this is an attempt at to to capture something that certainly goes beyond words, right? Yep. But the words themselves are powerful and matter to us. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't have anything to add to that one, Luke. That's really add to that? Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, yeah, and I think the questions help kind of um, propel forward this action because Jesus wants us to think. He wants yeah. us to, he doesn't want us um, to blindly follow or blindly obey. He wants us to be able to say, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, because that has been our experience yeah. in our relationship with him. So he wants us to, um, I think these questions kind of help propel forward the action that our lives should be responses to the question of yeah. who do you say that I am? And yeah. what is our answer to that question? If our question, the answer is, well, you are the Christ and that changes the way our life goes. It changes what our actions look like. So these questions kind of propel forward what our Christian life looks like. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus is bringing his disciples along in all of the gospels but like what what we ought to be trying to do as Christians, as, as Catholics, like, you know, reading the scriptures is putting ourselves into that place as much as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, now we can't go be in a boat in a storm with Jesus, like literally. Uh, I mean, unless you happen to be like a fisherman <laughs> or something. But we can understand the the central significance of that event, right? Is is to reveal Jesus' power and like to sort of impel us to have more faith in mm-hmm. in the Lord who can calm even mm-hmm. the seas and mm-hmm. they obey Him, even the wind and the seas obey Him. Um, and I, I think that just if you're reading the Gospels, and if, if, you know, for instance, if you're following this along and you're trying to go through Mark's Gospel, just take the questions and and dwell with, dwell with them a little bit in prayer. And this is one of the things I think, like sometimes as Catholics, maybe often, we're not very good at reading the Bible because we just don't like, we just don't know how to read mm-hmm. the Scriptures mm-hmm. uh, because it's not... It's not just a book, and it's not just like stories. Um, there are stories in the book, but it's not like reading a biography of John F. Kennedy. And you're just like, oh, God. okay, I'll go to the next page. Like this, we're, it's supposed to be something that's that's interactive with us, and that you know sort of sets our hearts ablaze um, and calls us to prayer. So I don't know. I mean, how do you see like the role of the Gospels and, and prayer, like? I know you're you're mm. you you think a lot about Lexio, but like, mm-hmm. how effective are the Gospels for Lexio? Oh, uh, yeah, the Gospels are. I mean, they're the primary way that I do Lexio Divina, so they're the primary way that I pray. Um, actually, Scripture is what I use when I pray. So it, yeah. yeah, it um, it's one of those things where it, uh, the phrase "ever ancient, ever new." So it's the Gospels. Mm have the ability to speak into every situation in a new and profound way because every time you read it you're a new person you're a different person and that's what i see every time that i so i kind of just read the gospels on a cycle constantly i do about a chapter a day um and every time i reread matthew or reread mark it's like oh my gosh how have i never seen this before how have i never understood this in this way before um so the gospels uh, they they are they become, for me anyway, they've become the way that God speaks to me. So they're not just stories that I read. Mm-hmm. You know, I can actually see how 
these situations apply to my life where I fit into the story or, you know, the affirmations. Um, The Lord uses scripture a lot to speak affirmations into my life. So those types of things just become just a really beautiful way that God dialogues with us. So yeah, the, the gospel should be a huge part of your prayer life. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, when I very first started trying to read the Bible a little bit and, and kind of think about it and not, and not just sort of go like, well, that's one of those like church things, but like, I guess I should try this, you know? Um, I would have logical like questions like how, how are you disciples like just not getting this? Mm -hmm. And I, and I would think, stupidly, I would have got it. I know I would have got it. I wouldn't have been like, hmm, you just walked on the water. How did you do that? Like, I like I thought so pridefully, like as like, you know, like a 20-something, like these disciples, man, morons. Like they just don't get anything. And now that I've been, you know, really trying to, to, to be a much more serious disciple myself, and you know, trying to, to hold a serious prayer life on my own, and and I have kids, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm much less impressed with myself than when I was <laughs> in my 20s. Um, I realize, oh, I'm just like that. Like I'm just like that, and I have the benefit of the written scriptures. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't, the apostles didn't didn't have that. They didn't, you know, they they couldn't like go take a Bible study, go get a degree in theology and like learn how all this stuff fits together. Mm-hmm. They're just fishermen. Mm-hmm. And and they're, you know, and and so I <laughs> when I read the gospels now and I read about the the disciples or the apostles, I'm like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm like. <laughs> you know, and I don't know that there's any moments where it'd be like, "Oh, no, I would I would have got it." Now, yeah. <laughs> now I realize like I was so stupid, so foolish, like, as a 20-something, like, these stupid apostles, like, they can't ever figure anything out. And I'm like, here I am still sinning in my, you know, like, (laughs) I have all of these benefits they didn't have. And key, really key, I had the grace of the sacraments. Mm Mm-hmm. And I still can't yeah. put it together. You know, yeah. I don't know if you ever feel like that, but that's... Yes. <laughs> I, uh, so Peter is my favorite of the apostles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy was... I, I feel like we would have been really good friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I just... it's um. So that's even like a perfect example of how when you read the Gospels, you see just kind of the humanity of mm-hmm. the disciples and you yep. see how Jesus continues to encounter them. And that's how he continues to encounter our humanity. He's so patient. He's so gentle. He's so kind. Yeah. Um, and he never gives up. He just, he's very patient in his pursuit of us. And yeah. we see that with the way he interacts with the disciples. So even there, yep. you kind of get this beautiful affirmation of. And it's, we're, it's, it's an affirmation of the disciples' humanity and of Jesus' humanity. Yeah. And of course, his humanity doesn't stand on its own. It's united to his divinity. But that humanity of his is so real and mm-hmm. so strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that he's able to anticipate the weakness of the disciples mm-hmm. so much, so much the stronger, you know. And he's not. And the other thing that, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but he's not. Um, he's not afraid of their weakness. He's mm-hmm. not discouraged by their weakness. He's just patient with it. Ooh. And I think that's one thing that we, like, we're. Um, 
I don't remember who says this, but it's not us. It's not God who tires of forgiving. It's us who tires of asking for that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We're more likely to become frustrated with our humanity than God is. He yeah. does not. He he knows exactly who we are and exactly oh, what we man. are. He's, yeah. He doesn't get frustrated with our humanity. He loves yeah. our humanity and all of its flaws and shortcomings and chaos and just you know mm-hmm. it, our complete inability to do things right sometimes <laughs> yeah. um oh that's yeah. beautiful that that's that's beautiful though i i love the way that you said that god doesn't get discouraged by our humanity like that's so like that's really beautiful elizabeth um i've uh, i've got i've got a lot of kids um my youngest daughter is five her name is carol and she's doing this thing lately, and it just like came to my my mind as you were as you were speaking. She's just started to do this thing where she tells lies, right? <laughs> oh, but they're like, <laughs> but like they're the most hilariously bad mm-hmm. lies. And she's got like no, she's not fooling anybody, mm-hmm. right? But it's it's funny because you can tell that when she tells a lie, she knows that what is the truth mm-hmm. is like a disappointment. Like, ah, uh, no, I didn't clean my room or I, I uh, yeah, I did spill the thing that has been spilled and that's not how it's supposed to go. But like, I don't want you to know that it was me. So I'll come up with just the worst lie you've ever heard of. And she has this like terrible tell when she's lying. Like you ask her a question like, uh, Carol, did you, did you spill water in the hall, like all over the hallway? Because I, you're you're supposed to be asleep, but you're the only one that's awake right now. <laughs> and there's water all over the place. I know your sisters are all asleep. Your brother's asleep. Me and Elena are, you know, watching Ted Lasso or something. We didn't do it. The air conditioning's not leaking. Like, please let this be you spilled water. <laughs> and it wasn't like one of the dogs, you know, one of the animals didn't know where to go to the bathroom. Like, did you spill water? And she, and when she answers a question like this, I know she's telling a lie. Well, <laughs> and she has this look like she's trying to come up with what can I say that explains it, you know. Um, and I, in my best moments as a father, and I have many moments where it's not good, but in my best moments as a father, like I can just take that exactly where it is, and I don't have to beat her up about it. And it's so like I told her, like, Carol, when you did something that's, like, not good, like, I just want you to just tell me. Mm-hmm. Like, don't come up with some story. Mm-hmm. She comes up with a wild story, and she she blamed it on one of the animals. And it was, like, late enough that I was like, oh, no, really? What, the dog peed in the hallway? Like, no, that's so bad. Um, that would have been much worse, much worse than you spilled some water. You know, like, I just stepped in it. I'd really like <laughs> you to be lying to me right now, you know. Um, that, so just, I don't know. But I didn't get, I wasn't like... This kid, like, she, it didn't drive me nuts. I just, I happened to, by the grace of God, like, take it lightly and just, like, give her a hug and, and you know, like, tell her not to worry about it. Uh, so, I don't know, when you said God doesn't get discouraged by our humanity, yeah. that's so, that's so good that he doesn't. Thankfully, yeah. he doesn't, right? Thank God he doesn't, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, just one more thing, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. You said Peter's your favorite. Um, there's a line... From Fulton Sheen, um, in in one one of his books, uh, one of his like short little books, where he asks a question like, "Why did why did Jesus choose Peter to be the first, you know, like the foundation of the church and to be the Pope? Um, why Peter, with all of his flaws, instead of the beloved disciple 
who who didn't abandon him, who mm-hmm. was right there by the cross, mm-hmm. who who he gives his mother to his beloved disciple, and he doesn't do that with Peter. It's the you know the beloved disciple seems to be understanding better and mm-hmm. maybe even living mm-hmm. better. And Peter's kind of a screw up. Mm-hmm. Why is Peter chosen? And his answer is that that was the choice Jesus made so that the church would have at 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 its at a human level this more fundamental understanding of the weakness of of, of human beings. Mm-hmm. Because the foundation of the church, Peter, I mean Christ is the foundation, but he gives it to Peter, mm-hmm. right? He has screwed up big time. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of ways in the gospels mm-hmm. give you all these examples. <laughs> And because he understands that, the church is going to be able to have mercy mm-hmm. better on us. Yeah. That, I love I'm, that Peter line. is my favorite. He's one of my favorites. But it also kind of, I think, demonstrates, you know how Paul talks about it's in our weakness that we're strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just that affirmation that God doesn't want us to be something that we're not. He wants yeah. us as we are. Yeah. And that it's God who can take our weakness and our brokenness and our just completely our chaos, you know, and he's the one that makes it a firm foundation. He's because he is our firm foundation. So yeah. Peter is the rock because of Christ, not because Peter had it sure. all together yep. or that he was strong yep. or anything like that. It's because Peter was weak and because he was weak, Jesus was able to be the firm foundation that Peter stood on. So yeah, Peter's That's my favorite. Awesome. All right. I want to close with just reading uh, something that's actually, well, I have it in this, uh, I printed it out, but then I have it, I have the, the real book here. Um, so this is just, you know, uh, a, a nice little commentary on Mark's gospel. Um, but it demonstrates like Mark's hurried, rushed style. Um, so I'll just read, this is from Mary Healy, who's a, a great scholar. I think she's at Sacred Heart um, Seminary in Detroit. So the gospel of Mark is deceptively simple. Mark writes in a plain street-language style of Greek that made his writing accessible to the uneducated, but led others to disparage his work as unrefined and vulgar. Yet, as modern literary critics have come to recognize, Mark writes with consummate skill. His narrative style is the most vivid of the Gospels. One of his favorite words is euthis, which is immediately used over 40 times as compared to six times in Matthew and once in Luke. Give, which gives his narrative a sense of urgency and fast-paced action. So we've talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a good example of this in that Mark mixes up his language tenses from present tense and past tense and just kind of like crams it all together. And so this is just one example of if you literally translated the Greek, keeping those mixed tenses as they are in the Greek, this is what it would sound like. And it sounds like... When you've got a best friend when you're like nine and something really cool happens and they tell you the story about it and it's all like, then he did this and we and we were in like it's past tense and present like at the same time. So this is uh, Mark 1 verses 40 to 44 keeping these sort of like incorrect tenses, um, but they serve the, the function of conveying this urgency that we've talked about. So we'll close with this. A leper comes to him and kneeling down begs him and says... If you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him, and he says to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Then he says to him, see that you tell no one anything. So, like, he touched, then he says to him, do this, Mm -hmm. I will, 
do then he says to him that that sort of sent I think just it really conveys and captures this just completely unique style of Mark's gospel so anything else to add no nope, that's a good great. place to close all right well thanks Elizabeth for coming on really appreciate having you for this conversation it was fun anytime Luke all right I enjoyed awesome. it <laughs> all right well stick tuned uh, stay tuned for our next episode on the gospel of Mark thanks <laughs>